Today we'll be discussing the U.S. Open, especially the U.S. Open men's final. It was a very looking like it was going to be a routine match until it wasn't. It became a five-set barn burner. Barn burner. We'll talk about the stats from that match and what made that match super interesting that allowed Nadal to, to overcome Medvedev, one of, the, one of the younger players in the game who's played fantastic on the hard courts this summer. We also wanted to cover the rest of the stats from the second week, quarterfinals, semifinals, and who was able to make a difference and who was, it, who was left out. We know some of the big three were injured and weren't able to move on. But the focus of today's episode will be definitely Rafael Nadal due to his amazing feat of making 19 majors, one back of Roger Federer. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. And uh, why don't you start us out with the stat of the day? All right, stat of the day. So there's so many different stats to go through, but I think the one that best best describes, especially in the men's final, is looking at the distance stat. So it's one that we typically don't talk about as much, but it just it definitely stood out. And so the U.S. Open they have, and this isn't in all ATP matches. I can never find all the numbers, but for the U.S. Open they track it. It's the distance covered per point. So Nadal covered 64.2 feet per point, and uh, Daniil Medvedev covered 60.3 feet per point. So overall, over the course of a lot of points played, about 300-ish points played, Nadal covered nearly 22,000 feet, and Medvedev covered almost 21,000 feet. So this was a crazy, grinded-out match. They were covering the entire court. And if you were able to even watch part of it, you would definitely see this with extremely long rallies, especially Nadal playing great defense, but also Medvedev being all over the court. And we'll, we'll talk about in a bit how he was able to change some tactics and get to the net. But just to give you some perspective, so Federer and Dimitrov, we'll talk about their five-set match in the quarterfinals. They also in five sets, just like Medvedev and Nadal, but they, they're both covered distance. Total distance covered was about 11,000 or 10,500 feet for Federer and Dimitrov almost 11,000 feet. So Nadal and Medvedev almost doubled those numbers. And you could see it. Distance covered per point was about 38, a far cry from the 60 that Medvedev and 64 feet that Nadal were covering. Different game styles, different opponents, but it led to a very interesting match. So Matt, why don't you why don't you talk to us about that match, especially as an Nadal fan? What were your thoughts, and also what are some statistics that stood out? Sure. Well, I think to start off with um, that stat of the day, I think that just kind of is a testament to the work ethic that Nadal shows on the court. Uh, I mean, obviously, the guy chase will chase after every ball that he can, and so and you see that right in the amount of the amount of running that he does. The guy's thirty three years old, and he's still running around the court more than these other players. Um, but obviously Medvedev and his crazy comeback bid, uh, also, also moving in throughout the court, trying to keep points alive and trying to stay in the match. And he did that. Right. So obviously I'm happy with the results of the U S open <laughs> when, when <laughs> joke, uh, crashed out, I figured that Nadal's chances increased dramatically there. And especially when fed dropped out. There was no way he was going to be denied at that point. Um, so yeah, he's just what one off now from Fed, and uh, a yep. handful above Joke. How many? Three, four, something like that. Djokovic is at, uh, I believe it's sixteen now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think he's got three. 
So we'll see. And I mean, he's still dominant at the French Open compared to, I mean, I feel like Fed's dominance at Wimbledon has kind of faded. That was his, his go-to tournament. So, I mean, there's definitely, definitely opportunity there for, for Rafa to uh, tie and then maybe sneak into the lead here as far as most Grand Slam tournament championships goes, which is crazy. I mean, all these numbers are just ludicrous with these big three. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talked about this in our last podcast as far as the U.S. Open goes itself. Um, you know, Nadal had probably the easiest slate of uh, competition that maybe he's ever faced. <laughs> it was it was um, a pretty lackluster group in general. I mean, you had Joke and Warinka and uh, Fed all in the, the upper half of the bracket, and you didn't have to worry about any of them. And a couple of uh, potential candidates that would bother him crashed out early in the tournament. Um, and didn't perform the way they were, I think, expected to going into the tournament. And so I think that certainly helped. Uh, he had what, a walkover in one of the rounds and um, basically got to the final probably much better rested than any other of his competition would have been. Uh, Medvedev obviously is playing out of his mind on the hard court in this whole hard court season the warm-ups he was in the finals multiple times and finally broke through for a, you know taking one of those masters home and and so and obviously he's a young gun right so he's got the energy you could say but uh, um, still had to go through more of a gauntlet um, to get to to the final i think than rafa did and so and then you add on all of the cover all the court that they covered in that final i think that uh that probably didn't help Medvedev's case, having to go five sets. If he'd been able to sneak out one of those earlier ones, I think Rafa would have been, uh, this may have been a totally different story. Well, and and that's what's really interesting to me because I, when I was watching, I turned it on for a little bit in the first two sets and Medvedev, Medvedev was actually up a break early in the first set. And I thought, I thought that was good news for him. Of course, he wasn't able to hold on. Rafa takes that first set, 7-5. So like you're saying, if Medvedev sneaks that first set, this could have been a totally different ball game. Because you could tell they were both gassed. Both guys were right. gassed. Nadal wasn't hitting a great backhand, but no. it doesn't matter. You know, it's a it's a marathon finish, and Medvedev unfortunately was feeling it as well. But it was great tennis for for the fans. Absolutely. Yep. They got uh, they got a lot more than originally were expecting. I, Medvedev. I don't know if you saw any of his uh, uh, interviews or anything after the <laughs> yeah. the match, but basically said, you know, in that third set, he was down a break. And I think Rafa was what serving for the match five three or something. Anyway, uh huh, yeah, yeah. He was like, "Well, this match is over in about twenty minutes," and he was sitting there planning uh, what he was gonna what he was gonna say in this interview. But somehow he dug deep and just found a way to change up his game maybe a little bit and play a little bit cleaner, a little bit more aggressive, and took Rafa by surprise. I think and. Yeah, able to get it out to five sets. It's crazy. Yeah, the the crowd I think was a huge factor. They were pulling for Nadal, yeah. a lot of Nadal fans early, but I think once the match started to get lopsided, they started pulling for the underdog a little bit. And yeah. then once it got to the fifth set again, you could kind of feel the momentum change. Like, hey, Rafa, come on, do it. And Rafa was actually up a double break in the fifth. He was. lost the one break. That's why it's insurance breaks are huge in tennis. Sure, but Nadal was able to hold on 
with that single break and win it six four. But you could yeah. tell kind of the crowd was like gasping, like, come on, this is the this is the fifth <laughs> well, set. And he had, Medvedev had a break point chance in that uh, he did, yeah. yeah, that final game that was served out. He could have brought it even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree. They were shouting at the end there. Uh, which is interesting, right? Because Medvedev in that first match, uh really, really um I would say got the crowd against him. You know, he right. grabbed the towel from the the ball boy and threw it on the ground and flipped off the crowd and got a bunch of booze and then was pretty snarky in his his after uh, after match interview. Um, but yeah, I guess you know, I mean, people were paying money. I guess they wanted to see an actual match out there instead of just a straight set. Uh, you know, no competition. But yeah. Yeah, and, and part of that, and, and maybe you'll show us here in the numbers too, is Medvedev, he think he started to realize that going to net was very effective against Nadal. Any of the long rallies, he couldn't he couldn't really find the winners to expose Nadal. But when he went to the net, he was able to put it away. Nadal actually will look at it as well. I was surprised about the number of net points both guys had. Nadal went to net quite a bit to great effect. So once Medvedev kind of figured that out, that, hey, serving volume is working really well against this guy. He started to do it quite a bit, and I think that helped him get into the match. Obviously, he didn't win it, but he was at least able to get in it and fight instead of just be bowled over by one of the all-time greats. Right. No, I agree with that. And it's interesting you mentioned the stats, obviously. Um, we'll get into those a little bit. Uh, I like to, in sets like this that go, or matches like this that go five sets, kind of break it down um, between the, the sets individually because they really do tell a, a different story. Nadal mm -hmm. took the first two sets, obviously, and if you look at the stats for just those two sets, he was pretty dominant in, in having the better stats. You know, he had um, a 10% better uh, win percent percentage on his first serve and like a 15% better win percentage on his second serve. So he was yeah, dominant uh, compared to Medvedev, you know, and so he was at 76 and 63% respectively for those two. And, um, and so it's just very clear. He was, he was in control on that in those first two sets and put him away and took care of business. And then you move on to the third and fourth sets and the statistical dominance shifts over to Medvedev in a big way. And they play, so Medvedev, um, they both had about the same percentage of first serves in, so about 63%. Um, and also their win percentage on that first serve was generally the same in the third and fourth set at, at around 73, 74%. But that was up 10% for Medvedev. So in those first two sets, he was winning 63% of his first serve points. Whereas in those third and fourth sets, he was up to about 73%. Uh, so he... He increased his win percentage on that first serve, which I think really helped him to kind of uh, ease through his his games and his service in order to control those sets a little bit better. And he had a better win percentage on his second serve with, at 62% compared to Nadal's just 50%. And so you see that this huge shift in the third and fourth set. Nadal was just, for whatever reason, lost his groove, and lost his focus. I don't know, but Medvedev, was definitely the cleaner player, the more more dominant player in the two sets. And obviously it shows, you know, he got the results that he wanted. He came back and won those two sets. And the final set, they shifted back to Rafa. 
Um, Medvedev had a higher first serve percentage in at 69% compared to Rafa's 59%. Um, but the win percentage again shifted on that first serve. So Medvedev went back to winning just 56% of the point uh, points that he had his first serve in, whereas Rafa bumped up to 85%. Um, and that, I mean, that's tough to beat when you're yeah. uh, when you're winning that. And so, and, and you can look. I mean, one stat that is interesting in that final set, um, Medvedev was winning 50% of. Uh, points on his second serve compared to Rafa's just 29%. Uh, but I mean, when he's winning all of the first serves, it, you know, it is what it is with that second serve. So, but it is interesting. You see the, the net points. Um, Medvedev went to the net a bunch. And especially in that final set, they both went to the net a lot. I think they were trying to get those points shorter, kind of in the point, in the trying to. <laughs> Get things shorter because they were both just yeah they're just uh, tired yeah gassed. they want to finish so, it yeah but it's inter it's interesting right you can look at you know based on these stats per per these groups of sets you can easily identify oh who won the sets and then who took that critical fifth set and obviously at the end of the day it went to Nadal and just a you know a matter of a, a few games a few inches but made the difference. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, like you said, in the fifth set, looking at their different uh, win percentage, right? Nadal was able to win a lot of the first serve points. 85, I mean, that's overwhelming. That's that's better than a Federer-Wimbledon type of stat. But then on the second serve, right, he could barely even win You know, win one. Four yeah. out of 14, 29%. And that, and that kind of showed, right? Nadal was able to just be dominant and go, go up a couple breaks, but then being vulnerable on the second serve, Medvedev was able to find a way back. So it's interesting that you find the holes in the game. And I think Medvedev kind of recognized that too. If he attacked the second serve, he'd win the point. So yeah, it just came down to Nadal got enough first serves in, right? That he was he was crushing. And looking at the at the serve speeds as well, I was impressed. He wasn't quite serving as fast as when he first won the US Open, really flattening out his serve in the 120s. But still, some of his fastest serves were around there. And the average serve speed looked like it was in the, the high teens, like 118, 117, which reminds me of a Federer Djokovic, if you look at their numbers on the first serve average. Uh, Medvedev was still a little bit faster, um, but not as huge an advantage. I think I think Nadal's really figured it out. He's gone back to to hitting it harder on the on the hard courts on the serve. And I think that I think that definitely benefited him there. He was yeah. able to win some free points. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. He's been, uh, yeah, his serve has been, um, he's changed it up a little bit and uh, in these past, I don't know, year, year and a half, um, his coach has, uh, what's his name, the Spaniard, Moya? Moya, Moya yep, Carlos yeah, Moya. Moya has, has really worked with him to get that serve, um, yeah, like you said, more aggressive and uh, be able to use as a as more of a weapon. So he had a moment there. I think he had just come back from an injury or something, but his serves were hidden. Like, man, they were like less than a hundred miles per hour at some points, maybe his second serves. He yeah. was basically just dropping it in and on the pro level, it, <laughs> that's, it's not going to work for too long. So yeah, he can get he away with it on clay a little bit with the, with right, the kick, right. but on the faster courts, like you're saying, that's not going to work. You're going to lose. Yeah. And I think he's figured that out. He's gone back to some of these faster serves. Maybe it's harder on his shoulder and body, but it can also help you keep the points shorter. So you need to balance right. that, optimize that. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. The only other thing um, I wanted to note, so I really like, like you're saying, the step-by-step analysis because it really does show a better kind of story of what happened. But just overall, just to show how razor thin the match was. So um, 1530 came up with a new kind of metric. So obviously we talk about uh, first for percentage and then the amount of points that you win percentage on first or second serve. But I was looking for one sort of serve statistic to kind of encapsulate all these numbers. And so if you take into account the first serve in and you multiply it by the first points one added to the second points one, that gives you a serve ratio, what I like to call it. And so Nadal and Medvedev had almost identical uh, serve ratios. Nadal's was about 1% better. And so I haven't quite figured out as far as, you know, X percent better serve ratio leads to a 95% better uh, win rate or something like trying to guarantee or predict the success of the match. But just from the small amount of data that I parsed 1%, that's, that's one of the closest that I've seen so far. So almost identical as far as their effectiveness on serve. And so really, again, this one, just like we saw the Wimbledon final, it came down to the smallest of margins and it was exciting to watch. There was a lot of ebbs and flows in the match, but ultimately Nadal was able to win 4% more points. And really at the end of the day, all he needed was the last point there, the match point that he was able to convert. And so it was a thrilling match for the fans. They got their money's worth. And, and now we see Nadal. It's going to be really interesting to see Nadal and Federer as they play together. They're going to be doing the, the Laver Cup here pretty soon. They'll be teammates. So it'll be interesting to see that. Now I only have one major to differentiate the two, but I still, I think it's good for the sport. Again, we have the young gun Medvedev. Where, what, what is this? Is this his fourth or fifth final in a row on hard court? The guy is, yeah. poor guy is just completely gassed, but he's just, yeah. he's playing amazing tennis. He, he almost can't lose on the hard court and he almost didn't lose to Nadal if he had maybe kept the first serve or kept the first set kept the lead in that first set but either way it turned out to be one for the ages it was what was it a few minutes short of the record uh for the u.s open men's final this their length of time i think the, the record is like four hours and 54 minutes it was like four hours and 50 minutes so it was getting close if they had made a tie break in the fifth it <laughs> surely would have broken the record so yeah that's interesting amazing yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see because I mean, you talk about these young guns coming up and, you know, competing and knocking off the big three. And we saw Sissipas have his breakout tournaments there where he just went, caught fire and had that one tournament where he beat like, what, three or four top 10 guys, yeah. like back to back to back. And then, you know, where has he been? He fizzled out. So it'll be interesting to see if Medvedev can sustain any of this or if it was just, you know, a couple months of blazing glory and you know he kind of regresses back to the mean it'll be interesting to see if if anybody can really sustain the the, the success that they've been having right and, I, and I just really hope year after year you see that but other than that it's been no that's a really good point and that's that's exactly what's happened even dimitrov who had that epic five-setter against Nadal was right. it 2017 Australian Open semifinals. And then he went on to win the the World Tour finals, the very last event of the year. People are like, oh, yeah, he's going to be the new guy who's world number three. And then 2018 was like one of his worst years on tour. Yeah. And then yeah. even 2019, he is like, is like almost a career low type of thing. Set world number 78. Mm -hmm. Still, he was able to beat Federer and make the semifinals again, which was great. But 
the guy has not been doing that great ever since he <laughs> won these titles or people said, hey, he's the guy now and and Cody hasn't measured up. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And I just hope I hope Medvedev is gonna be healthy. I hope he doesn't get injured from all this. But right. No, yeah, you def definitely hope that they're all able to stay healthy and keep playing, keep playing well. That's yep. Good. Well, this is uh this is not a stat of the day, so transitioning. I want to talk about the Stan Wawrinka Novak Djokovic match. It was round of 16. It could have been a, a juicy semifinal. They met before in the semifinals of New York and other tournaments, even finals. They met here. They met in New York 2016 in the final, and I believe it was 2013 in the semis. Regardless, Stan Wawrinka played some amazing tennis. He was able to beat Novak uh, two sets, and he was up a break when Novak retired. However, I do want to talk about a quick moment in the match. So I watched the whole match. Thought it was excellent tennis. So Novak, if you didn't know, his shoulder on, it's not his actual serving arm. It's the arm that he uses to toss the ball. Of course, he uses that arm for his two-handed backhand. But honestly, it didn't look like it was affecting him too much. And there was a moment in the second set where Djokovic was actually up 4-2 to two and he was serving. And this was 15-30. So as we know in this podcast, it's a pretty important point, pretty pivotal. And they had this rally, and Stan ripped a backhand down the line around the net post. This was incredible. This ended up setting up, of course, double break points, and Stan was able to convert. So he was able to get back in the match. So I thought this just was a very huge turning point to the match. I think had Novak been able to serve that out and maybe even go up a set or to tie Stan in sets, be a set apiece, it could have been a totally different ballgame because Djokovic had struggled earlier in the tournament with the shoulder but when you're winning, things sometimes work themselves out. And he could have had a couple days of rest to rehab the arm. So I, I think the match could have been totally different. I think Novak maybe would have stayed in, depending on the pain levels. Can't predict, obviously, what pain levels he was feeling. But he only retired once he was down two sets in a break. And so I think this, this to me, was a pivotal moment of the match. Maybe he could have clawed away back in to beat Stan. So I think this was just showed great. You know, tennis IQ from Stan to recognize the moment and he sees it. He didn't just wait for Djokovic to miss because honestly, Djokovic wasn't missing that much. Stan really had to go for his shots, go for his winners. And he ripped that beautiful back end on the line. So I was just smiling the whole time. Like, that's a perfect point on 1530 to execute. <laughs> so just to me, I, I just wonder if that if that totally changed the match on its uh, on its end because Djokovic was looking to take that second set, but Stan, Stan denied him. Yep. That's a good point. I mean, it's important to note that in those two sets alone, Djokovic had 35 unforced errors, which is pretty high. For two sets, that's pretty high for Joke. So I, I think he was being impacted in some way from that. Um, and five double faults, right? So there is definitely some impact there. But yeah, no, I think you're probably right. I mean, had he maybe been able to take that first set or you know, at least keep it more competitive than maybe he would have been there. But Stan was Stan was playing incredible tennis on that. Not, cannot take anything away from him because it was uh, very well, very well played. Yeah, and there were then there were some big points too. People, the crowd was getting into it. It's not like Djokovic would 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 miss hit it right away or anything. Yeah, there's a few yeah, other players. Not his cleanest match, but but Stan was still taking it to him. Djokovic was playing great defense. And 
yeah, yeah, the crowd was into it. I, I, th I thought this reminded me of some of the old battles of old where I, I guess another stat to throw out there. So Stan Wawrinka was able to keep the record going. So he has a record against Djokovic where he has won at least two sets against Djokovic since I believe 2013. So they're, you know, they've, they basically played five sets or Stan has won it in fewer sets in four sets or three, two and a half, I guess on this one. So an amazing stat that Stan has against the world number one. Again, it's kind of a matchup thing. You know, Fed doesn't have that same stat against Djokovic, but Federer seems to own Vavrinka on a non-clay surface. So again, that's kind of where the matchups in tennis come from. Stan Vavrinka, he he just seems to have Djokovic's number. He knows how to play the 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 game plan against them and he executes it usually pretty well. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Helps to have the <laughs> the forehand that that Rorinka has. Yeah. When that thing's popping, it's popping. Right, because yeah, because everyone talks about his backhand, which is amazing. But to me, his forehand this tournament had played like a forehand of old, and yeah, you know, big off of both wings, big serve. You know, he can hit one thirty, and he can place it pretty well with the aces. Which, if he's doing that, good luck. It looks like his fastest serve during the match was one thirty five down both tees, one thirty out wide. It's like, I mean, that's tough for anybody, including the best returner, Novak Djokovic. That's hard to handle. It's tough. Yep. Yep, and so and Stan, I guess, due to that, he was able to win a 84% of his first serve points, so an excellent number. Djokovic was still able to do pretty well, 70%, not a bad number. Then second serve, Stan, 56% to Djokovic, 41%. So Stan, again, finding ways to attack the Novak second serve. Yeah. But Novak, I thought it was interesting. There's a, he, he made it to net quite a few times as being kind of sneaky. He won 80% of net points. He went to net 15 times over two and a half sets that's that's pretty decent and he was he's doing quite well at the net yeah that's impressive see him get up there that well and joke i feel like is all he's high tennis IQ, right he's good at determining good times to go to the net yeah he's he's super good with his hands he knows he seems to always just know where his opponents are going to hit the ball he guesses right a lot and so he's able to get there and have time to get the ball back and place it well. Right. And and that's why I guess transitioning into the quarterfinal match against Medvedev, I was just I was kind of baffled, honestly, that Stan was able or was struggling so much against Medvedev. How he was able to to take a big shot maker like Novak out of the game. Medvedev, I feel I felt like he could have done the same thing, but there were some tight sets, especially that tiebreak. I feel like if that tiebreak had gone differently, the match would have gone differently. But if you look at the stats. Stan, again, was dominant on the first serve, right? We talked about his big speeds. You know, he was able to win 78% first serve. But Medvedev was able to stay with him. Didn't have quite as high a number, but 73%. But the key was just the second serve. Stan was getting attacked. Stan only won 38% of second serve points. Medvedev won 58. So that's a swing of 20%. And I think I think that really hurt Stan. He, was, he lost that uh, quarterfinal in four sets. And, I, and there was just one moment where I remember particularly where Stan went up to net and it looked like he had the point kind of won, but Medvedev very calmly hit a forehand. It looks like he was going to hit maybe a normal forehand, maybe a passing shot. Instead, he lobbed it just over Vavrinka's head where he couldn't quite hit it. And that was one of the most calmly hit 
um, lobs that I had seen in a long time. I thought that was well done. It was very sneaky. I think that's what Medvedev did. He was just he was able to keep Stan kind of off his feet. Joe, you know what to expect, right? You kind of know his patterns. You know what he's going to do. But Medvedev was just he was doing some sneaky stuff like that where it didn't look like he was going to lob it. Maybe change his mind, and Stan couldn't quite get to it. And that was key in that tiebreak, which it was eight points for Medvedev to six for Vavrinka. I mean, that was that's as close as you're going to get in a tiebreak. So I think. Maybe that took some of the wind out of Stan's sails. He didn't win another set until he was two sets down, right? He won the third set. But, uh, yeah, just just kind of a shame. But credit to Medvedev. He played some very smart tennis. I agree. Well, and I wonder if uh, it has any impact because, and again, I go back, right? I don't, I've never talked to any of these athletes. I've never been on their level, obviously. And so I don't know how much preparation they do for specific players as far as a specific scheme or saying okay well i know this player does this a lot so i need to make sure that i watch out for that mm -hmm. but i imagine there's at least some of that and at least amongst you know warinka and the big three they've all played each other so much that they at least have to know each other's styles and so i can imagine stan going out there against joke he says all right well i know joke's a good returner i know he's got a b c and d yeah. so i'll you know this is how i'm going to approach that Medvedev, newer on the scene, I have to imagine they say, well, you know, I, you know, in the past couple, you know, tournaments, he's gotten to the finals and he's done these things well. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know the preparation that goes through there, but there's no way that it can be that they're as familiar with these new opponents as they are with uh, those that they've played against a lot more that are around their age. So I wonder if that plays any aspect into it, kind of Medvedev being able to keep things fresh, keep things, um, keep surprises there and kind of keep people off balance in the way that he plays because, you know, he's relatively new to the, to the scene. And so, yeah, I think that's, a, I think that's a really good point. And I, and I guess I just didn't realize his variety and his, his penchant for shot making, but like you're saying, he's newer, more unpredictable guy, I guess you could say. And and maybe harder to prepare for. I mean, Stan and Novak, they're, they're hitting partners. They practice a lot together. They've played each other a lot. There's not really any surprises. I love when Fed talks about that when he plays jokes. He says, there's no yeah. no surprises between us. Medvedev, there might be, right, when a guy's still developing his game. Because that was uh, there were some very tricky points there. It was, I was impressed. Yeah. Let's see. So what's let's, let's another match we got here? So we can talk about the other quarterfinal match that happened. Roger Federer versus Grigor Dimitrov. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that match before we cover the statistics. Uh, I didn't get to see much of it. My only thought was maybe Dimitrov's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, let's see. But uh, looking at these numbers, I don't know. It looks like maybe Fed was off his game, I, but I didn't see much of it. So that's yeah. kind of based on on what I'm seeing here from numbers. So right, probably do this better. He had... He had what minus twenty one. If the winner to unforced error uh, ratio there, he had sixty one unforced errors to forty winners. Whereas Dimitrov was still in the negative as well, but only by six. So he had thirty five winners to his forty one unforced errors. So mm -hmm. a little bit cleaner there. He had twenty less unforced errors than than Fed had. Um, I have to imagine that plays some aspect into the the outcome of the match. Yeah, it was. This was definitely a weird match. I watched all of it, obviously being a Federer fan. And the first set wrapped it up. I was like, oh yeah, this is a pretty routine match. I didn't really notice anything, especially the previous round. I know Fed struggled the first two matches. 
to find his game, but the previous couple, I, he beat Goffan extremely easily, 6-2, 6-2, 6-0 in the fourth round. Yeah. And Dimitrov, right, they've played a lot of times. Fetter's never lost. It would have been his eighth win in a row over Dimitrov. So I wasn't very worried, to be honest, going in, but maybe I should have been based on not only how Fed was feeling, but also Dimitrov. He was kind of everywhere. I definitely give him some credit. He fought. He gritted his way out of that or into the second set to win it. Fed just kind of had a momentary lapse in that, that last service game when he was serving got broken. So I thought that was a little odd, but I said, you know, I'm sure Fed will write the ship, which he did in the third set. But the fourth set was really, really tight. You could tell Fed was struggling a little bit. And then there was one game, service game, that Federer had that lasted like 20-something minutes. And Dimitrov wasn't able to win it, but he was able to mm. have Federer tax his body on that game. So Fed ultimately lost that fourth set. But he said, he's like, yeah, Dimitrov said afterward, he's like, yeah, every point that I had him, every extra point that I had him play on his games were exactly what my game plan was. I wanted him on the court as much as possible. I wanted him to suffer. They're good <laughs> friends, which is funny. But, you know, he he wanted an opportunity to win, which he did by making the semifinals. But I, I think that was kind of a pivotal fourth set. Once he lost it, I knew he was in some trouble. He saw the trainer at the start of the fifth, end up saying later it was his neck or back area. But he didn't want to take credit away from Dimitrov, so there wasn't much talk. But if we go into the numbers and look at it, I especially want to compare it to his match against Goffan. So, like you mentioned, we have the we have the serve numbers, which are, which are interesting. If I look at my little serve ratio numbers, let's see, the difference was about nine percent in favor of Dimitrov. So, I think statistically enough enough for it to be worrisome. And the points, the the total points won. Of course, was really close. Dimitrov only won. Uh, almost 2% more points than Federer, five more points total. So the as far as points go, it was, it was pretty razor thin. But if you dive into the numbers, you'll see a bit more. So like I said, that serve ratio, Dimitrov was just better on that second serve. Even by 3%, they were winning the same number of first serve points. So it really did come down to the second serve. And Dimitrov, it was key. He had 8% more first serves in. So he was just able to have more of those first serves in. He was more protected on his service games than Fed. I felt like Fed, especially in the second through fourth and fifth sets, he was just on the defense a lot more. He had to work harder on some of his service games, which is kind of weird seeing that from Federer. And then the break points, abysmal for Federer. 4 of 14, 29%. Yeah. Dimitrov, 5 of 15. So Fed, you, you could just tell him mean, he's spraying shots all over the place. There was one shot I remember in particular, which was an amazing shot that Fed hit. It was a nice backhand smash and angled and I thought oh yeah it's gone and Dimitrov tracks it down hits a backhand winner up the line and you could hear the crowd just shocked I mean they love the shot but it was just Dimitrov was all over the place he wasn't missing and he kind of showed like you said Dimitrov of old kind of being an iron man like against Rafa when he had the five set loss in Australia but um let's see looking at other numbers here we mentioned distance covered 38 uh, feet per point which for Federer, that's nothing terrible. He wasn't taxed too much there. I think just just he was hitting balls that he would normally make. Let's see. If you compare his match to Goffin, he was winning 83% on first serve points against Dimitrov, only 74. So a little bit less, which I think made him more vulnerable in serve. Second serve, which was weird, he had lower against Goffin. Part of that was he had greater first serve percentage in, so he wasn't hitting as many second serves. 
But then the key roller right here is break points. He won 90% of break points against Goffan, 9 of 10 to 4 of 14 there. So I think this is just one of those days where even if the neck wasn't terribly bad, he just wasn't feeling it. Um, there's definitely some misses there, and Dimitrov didn't miss as much. It was just ultimately, I'm like, is Fed going to grit it out? Is he going to grit it out? But he just, Dimitrov was a wall, and Feder was just hitting some some balls he wouldn't normally miss. So Dimitrov was a better man on the day, but the fourth set was the key for, for Dimitrov in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm looking at the stats for the fifth set. Fed won one point off Dimitrov's serve in the fifth set. Like, yeah, by the fifth, it was point. over. By, yeah. by the fifth, he, <laughs> yeah, he went, up, point, he went mean, up a double break. He went up a double break in the fifth, and Fed was missing even easier balls than I've seen him miss in a long time. So I think the fourth was like he gave it all he could. Right. And then he had saw the trainer, and then the fifth, he was just done. I could yeah. physically, I think he was, yeah, he was done. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. He's what, 38? He is 38. That's right. I guess if you can get him to a fifth set and not get you, that's what you were saying. And so that was Kruger's plan, right? To keep him on the yeah, court. Yeah, exactly. Possible. Keep him on the court, which credit yeah, to him, it worked it. out. But unfortunately, he couldn't get past Medvedev. He got him in straights. So, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's amazing. And then again, looking at the keys in the match, I always think this is interesting. So, IBM, they come up with different statistics for what they think based on the matchups of each player and how they're playing are going to be the keys to the match. And they give you three keys and then obviously over five sets in this case. So 15 opportunities. And Feder was 8 of 15 on his keys for the match. Dimitrov was only 4 out of 15. So I don't think IBM was kind of was calculating that <laughs> how things would go in this match because Feder was mostly hitting those benchmarks especially in those first three sets. He didn't hit any benchmarks in the in the latter two, but I, I think that just shows, again, Dimitrov really did sneak that second set. It was kind of a momentary lapse, and he was able to to, to really snatch that from Roger because Dimitrov was not playing that great, but fourth and fifth definitely deserved it. Yep. Let's see. What other matches do we got here? So I do just want to briefly mention the – Medvedev Dimitrov match. So it was only straight sets. We were talking about distance per point. Again, poor Medvedev being gassed going in. It was 65 feet per point for Dimitrov and 61 feet per point for Medvedev for a total of almost 14,000 for Dimitrov and almost 13,000 feet for Medvedev. So this is a three set match, right? And they're already more, they already covered more ground than Federer and. Grigor Dimitrov did in their five-set match. So even though Medvedev won it, looks like straightforward three sets, Medvedev, again, had to work really hard for it. Dimitrov was all over the court, just like against Roger, but this time Medvedev was just too consistent and had the answers again, had the variety. So just, just thought that was an interesting point. It's, it looks straightforward if you look at the scoreline, but the distance covered, it really shows that that had some huge rallies in it. Yep, that's interesting. If you want to look at the other match, uh, we can touch on Nadal and Berrettini real fast. Yeah, let's More go for much it. to this. I mean, it was a straight set. And really, this match came down to that first set tiebreak. Berrettini had two set points in that tiebreak and uh, ended up losing the set. I think Rafa just reeled off like four straight points or something. 
but I mean, and I think this comes down, Berrettini was just hidden out of his mind. He was just hidden for the win in that first set. And I think that's yeah. why he had the pressure on Rafa that he did. You know, he had 22 winners to 20 unforced errors. But after that, I mean, in the second set, he had eight winners to 13 unforced errors. And then, you know, in the six, one third set, it was seven winners to, to 11 unforced errors. And so you see, he, he just got a lot less aggressive and a lot, uh, lost that capability to really, really hit through the ball. I think, I think <laughs> losing those two set points just kind of crushed his confidence and, uh, yeah, Rafa just kind of rolled. There wasn't yeah. too much to it other than that. It just kind of, yeah, he did business as, the, you know, as normal. Right. Looking at the stats on the final, right. For after all three sets were complete, like you're saying, it doesn't even look close, right. Nadal won 15% more points, which in tennis, that's a huge, uh, amount of dominance there. Right. Of looking at my serve ratio calculation, Nadal was 39% better on his serve on serve total. It's like, man, even though Berrettini, we know him for his huge serves, and able to back up that first serve compared to Nadal. Nadal won 90% of his first serve points won. Yeah. That is insane. Nadal almost never has numbers like that. Even 80s are pretty high for him, but Nadal had 90s. It just, again, shows the confidence. Nadal was able to, to totally kind of dictate on, on Berrettini. So that was, like you said, first set was tight, but after that, Nadal definitely rolled and was able to get it done in straight sets. Yep, yep. Didn't face a single break point in that match. Yeah, it's definitely had an easier, <laughs> easier match than the other side of the draw. So that's right. That's it. But. Well, definitely a, a very fun U.S. Open. There was a lot of good matches. I'm glad the final was able to go five, and we'll see. Like I said, Labor Cup, Federer, and Nadal will be teammates here pretty soon. I think it's a week or two away. So looking forward to that, as well as. Tennis season's not over, even though it's the last slam. It might feel like it's over. I know summer's kind of fading away, but we still have the hardcourt swing in Asia. So it'll be interesting to see. I know Nadal is like 600 points off of Djokovic for world number one. Can he challenge Djokovic if Djokovic is going to sit out of these tournaments? Well, that'll be interesting to one. see. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see, as well as, you know, Djokovic really does play well in the Asian hardcourt swing. So if he, does, if he is able to recover, what's going to happen? What is Federer's schedule looking like the rest of the year? And and I'm really honestly interested to see the World Tour Finals. Nadal's never won that event, but his mm -hmm. hardcore game this year has been amazing. Djokovic should probably be the favorite if he's healthy, but, you know, Dimitrov's won it. Goffin made the final, and, and Federer's won it, I think, more times than anybody except for maybe Joke. So the rest of the year still has some consolation prizes, I would say. <laughs> uh, and then I guess the biggest question is going to be the, the young guys, right? I think we know... The, the big three are probably going to rest the most they can and then hopefully peak for these last couple tournaments of the year. But the big, the, the young guys, I mean, they might play in most of these tournaments. So we can, we can track their progress and see if Tsitsipas or Zverev or if any of these guys will, <laughs> will challenge at these later tournaments in the year. Right on. It'll be great. It'll be good. But yeah, as always, visit us at cognitionsphere.com and our theme music is brought to you by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And until next time, we'll see you on the court.